Hello and welcome to Teaching English with the British Council Series 2. A podcast in which we try and provide solutions to some of the key questions being asked by English teachers around the world. Teaching English with the British Council. We are your hosts, we am Hamdan and Chris Salton. In each episode, we address one such question and attempt to answer it in two ways. Teaching English with the British Council. In the first part of each episode, we hear from a British Council project, programme or publication about something which is being done to address this issue. Across the 10 episodes of Series 2, we'll hear from teachers, trainers and researchers in a wide range of contexts, including Ukraine, Romania, Egypt and the United Kingdom. Teaching English with the British Council. In the second part, a leading English expert and practitioner will provide practical solutions which you can immediately try out wherever you work. Each episode of Teaching English is accompanied by a full transcript and show notes. These show notes provide additional information, a glossary of keywords, and links to relevant websites. Teaching English with the British Council This is episode 3. How can we teach difficult or taboo subjects? Hello and welcome to episode three of Teaching English with the British Council. In this episode, we look at how we can teach difficult or taboo subjects. First of all, Wayne, what do we mean by this term, difficult and taboo subjects? Those are issues that are not often tackled in the classroom. It could be sensitive to tackle them in certain cultures, uh, like maybe talking about sexuality in the Arab world not in all Arab countries, but in certain settings, maybe talking about slavery or critical race theory in the UK. Um, So it differs in different contexts. And what about from your own experience of working and living in Palestine? There must have been lots of controversial issues that have come up in the classroom. So how did you deal with them as a teacher and a teacher trainer? I remember one activity that I did with my classroom And we called it the typewriter project. It was a project where students wrote about their stories of sexual harassment, but they were all anonymized. And we put them around the classroom and it was like a gallery. And that just gave the students a space to talk about issues that are not very often talked about. And that was very empowering for both males and females. And I think that is something that can be used in in all contexts. And was that seen as controversial when you did that? What was the response of the students when it was introduced? I think at the beginning, students are not used to it. But once they realize that this is reality, this is happening, and once you can use this to empower their skills in reading and writing and talk about something that is personalized, I think that is very empowering for them. And of course, that's one example of a controversial or difficult issue. There are many others. And that's what we're going to look at today in our first interview. And our first interview is with Rose Aylett, who is a freelance teacher trainer and CELTA tutor, the coordinator of IATEFL's Global Issues Special Interest Group. She's currently based in Bangladesh, working for the British Council on their training of master trainers in English programme. 
Hello, Rose. Hi there. So when talking about taboo subjects, we often hear the word parsnip used to describe topics which should be avoided when teaching English language. Could you firstly explain what is parsnip and secondly, your thoughts on whether these topics should be avoided? Parsnip is like an acronym. It's used to describe common topics that are often omitted from globally published course books and what potentially shouldn't be included in these materials that are written for an international market. So you might be wondering what each letter of the acronym stands for. The first P in parsnip is for politics. A is for alcohol. R is for religion. S is for sex or sexuality. N is for nudity or narcotics. I is for Israel or isms. This can include political movements like feminism or discrimination like racism, political ideologies like fascism or communism. And finally, the second P is for pork. And I think it's worth saying that there's obviously an overlap between some of these different categories, like alcohol and narcotics, for example. I think this concept of parsnips is now quite widely known. And I think it's being discussed more and more as global citizenship education is becoming more mainstream and both teachers and students in many countries are increasingly contemplating like social justice issues and actively bringing them into their classrooms. And in answer to the second part of your question, whether I think these topics should be avoided or not, the short answer is absolutely not. Personally, I don't think that there are any topics that are inherently taboo. I actually try to avoid using the term taboo because I think it sort of suggests to me at least that that there are topics that can't be discussed anywhere, and I don't think that's the case. So no matter how difficult a topic is for teachers and students to talk about, I think you can guarantee that it's being touched upon in a classroom somewhere in the world. I think what makes a topic controversial or not is actually who is discussing it. And among one group of people, a topic like the climate emergency might not have the potential for much disagreement, but in a completely different group of people, it might actually lead, that discussion might lead to conflict. So I think as teachers, we have to be really careful, think carefully about our classroom context and decide which topics are appropriate for our learners. It's context that matters more, I think, and, and having a familiarity with the culture you're working in, being able to predict at least to some extent how they might react to more challenging content and also knowing why they're studying English, because that would play into the reason why you would choose to discuss a topic in the first place. With a term like parsnips, there's a little bit of a danger that if we as teachers buy into this idea that there are topics that are completely off limits, we're doing a disservice to our learners. We're kind of censoring their classroom. And I think a classroom should be a safe space to if students want to, to be able to discuss issues that they can't explore elsewhere. And sometimes, of course, it's actually the learners that bring the topics into the classroom. So even if a teacher has decided to avoid a particular topic, they might find themselves in the middle of a learner-generated discussion on it. That's something we all need to be prepared for. It's always something that confused me with parsnips in that if you're going to a different country, if it's an English-speaking country and people are going to ask you about your views on alcohol or your religion or you need to know words connected to pork or whatever it may be, to not allow the student to develop that kind of knowledge seems actually sort of contradictory in some ways. Yeah, definitely. Students need to have the vocabulary to be able to talk about these issues, even if it's something that they don't want to talk about or that they don't want to do, they still need to be able to discuss that, right? 
So where does it come from then? Because if it doesn't make sense in that logical, functional perspective, is it just something here we see in the classroom? It's the views of the wider community or the system that these students are are coming from. And if that is the case, what can teachers do in those situations who might want to talk about these issues or think it's important to talk about these issues, but there is a background and landscape which prevents them from doing this? Yeah, so I think I think there's lots we can do as teachers to make sure that there is a classroom environment that is is safe for students to discuss these kind of topics. And for me, that's yeah, make creating this kind of inclusive classroom atmosphere is really important. Students need to be able to feel like they are their authentic selves in the classroom and that they can express their opinions on a particular topic openly and honestly. There's this obvious exception of kind of you don't want students to be able to make offensive or discriminatory comments, or at least for them, if they do make them, that they they can't go unchallenged. Would you not Um, say it's the case that they're more likely to make offensive comments if they haven't had the opportunity to try that language out within the safe space of the classroom? Potentially, yes. But I think the the thing is, as a teacher, is you need to model the behaviour that you expect to see from your students when you're discussing these kind of issues. So when I'm negotiating a conversation like this with students, I'm always trying to model the skills of good dialogue in the classroom, which are the same skills that you would um, use to have a good conversation outside of the classroom about a difficult topic. So it's things like really listening to different opinions, being genuinely open to and exploring new ideas that you may not share, being prepared to change your own mind, being able to challenge your own views and perspectives on a particular issue. It's like being able to see things in technicolor rather than just in black and white. It also means in the classroom, giving students the space to be able to share their ideas if they want to and challenging stereotypes. It it can be uncomfortable for the teacher because having your own ideas and opinions challenged is uncomfortable, but that's okay. And that's learning. That's definitely something we need to model for our students to be able to respectfully disagree about, so it's a sort um, of growth mindset opportunity for students, but also for teachers as well. Yeah, absolutely. And speaking about space, how can you create a classroom space where students feel comfortable to share different views on on these issues? You mentioned that you do not prefer the word taboo, but if you were to replace it with another term, what would you call it? Yeah, so I suppose I would talk more about, like I talk about controversial issues Yeah, there's lots of things you can do to prepare students to talk about these issues. So I wouldn't go in on day one. If I had a new group, a new class, I wouldn't discuss a potentially controversial issue with them on the first day of teaching them. And also, if if I know a topic to be particularly culturally sensitive, perhaps, and I think it's something that I would want to talk with my students about, I might try and give them the heads up before introducing it in the class. So Um, which would give them the opportunity to come to me and tell me if they didn't want to discuss that. And another way I've used in the past of kind of preemptively um, assessing students' opinions on things is to include a sort of parsnip-style needs analysis. So I've used a kind of traffic light model. I've given students a list of of topics and I've asked them to allocate a different colour to each topic. Green means that they actively want to discuss this issue. Yellow is that they don't mind, they're indifferent, or maybe they don't know very much about it yet. And then red means they definitely don't want to. 
Um, and so doing something like that before the class can give you an idea about how learners feel about a particular issue. I like what you're saying there, Rose. It seems to me you're saying that we shouldn't be seeing these issues as controversial, as some sort of binary, some things are controversial, some things are not controversial, but more of a, a spectrum. Yeah, yeah, definitely. There's fluidity there, isn't there? Thinking about the practicalities of this, it may be that a teacher wants to talk about some of these issues. What can teachers do in that situation where they have to teach a certain body of information, but the, their class is perhaps hungry to to talk about some of these other, uh, as I say, more controversial issues? Yeah, so I think the reality is that probably most course books don't include controversial issues or parsnip topics, whatever you want to call them. Um, so most teachers probably will have to look elsewhere to find ideas or potentially create their own materials. There are different ways of integrating this kind of content into your classes. You don't have to teach a whole lesson on a controversial topic. It could just be that you start by adding in some more thought-provoking questions to a list of discussion questions. It could be that you just go with the flow when students bring up the topic themselves in the class and you don't shut down the conversation. But also, if you're looking actually to find materials, I'm the coordinator of the IATF for Global Issues 6, so that's somewhere that I would definitely direct people to go is to our website. We have a lot of free and openly accessible resources and materials there. Just find the kind of things that your students are interested in. If you see video clips, short films particularly, make fantastic teaching material. And so you can you can find them, bookmark them, and then just use them in class. And something I've often encouraged teachers to do in training I've done is to look at what micro-resistances they can also put in place, even if they have textbooks which have, for example, very traditional gender roles or it represents particular dominant groups within the society, is to simply encourage that space for critical reflection. So, you know, asking questions like, does this reflect the reality of your society? Or if you're doing something like you acting out the story, it's changing the role so that boys play girls or girls play boys or whatever it may be. Yeah, definitely. I like that term. What was it? Micro resistances. Hmm. That's really nice. I'm going to start using that. It makes me think of something I did the other day. I was, I'm, I'm teaching in Bangladesh at the moment and I think I was defining marriage or providing an explanation for marriage. And it was just inserting the word usually instead of saying this is a partnership between a man and a woman. It's usually a partnership between a man and a woman. Um, so that's not necessarily opening up the discussion, but learners will notice. And it's also an act of solidarity, I think, with learners in that class. If they, for example, if they do have particular views about their own sexuality in that class, just someone like you in that position, raising that issue is an act of solidarity and empowerment with that person that they don't necessarily feel as isolated or as alone as they as they may often feel. Yeah, 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 absolutely. And that can, you can insert that all over the place in your teaching. It's an approach, isn't it? It's an attitude to your teaching rather than just doing an activity. Exactly. How can you create a classroom space where students feel comfortable to share different views on these issues, such as gender ro roles, maybe sexuality, religious viewpoints? What about when you as a teacher have very different views of your students? 
we've obviously all got different views on things and this is what makes the world such a rich diverse and interesting place i think disagreement isn't a bad thing per se however in a classroom context with students who don't know each other very well and who are perhaps not able to express themselves as clearly as they might otherwise want to this has the potential to lead to uh, classroom conflict which is obviously something we want to avoid something i'd recommend initially is setting kind of ground rules so using or agreeing um, a code of conduct with your group of students. And this actually might be something that you do already at the beginning of the year or at the beginning of every term. Um, you might already have one on your classroom wall or you might want to create one with your students in advance of a specific discussion that you're about to have on a particular topic. I think it can be really helpful to do this and then refer back to it during the discussion. Another thing that's really useful can be to engage your students in kind of improvisation and drama games, drama activities. And these I found can be really great to gradually, little by little, remove students' inhibitions and create this really fun, supportive classroom atmosphere that you want to be able to discuss these issues. Uh, and perhaps just one final question, Rose. If We've got uh, teachers who are listening, who want to do this sort of thing, but are nervous about doing this. What would be a starting point? Where could they where could they go from? Yeah, so I think the first thing I would say is, is know that you're not alone. If that's you, that describes a lot of teachers, including me. I would include myself in that. But I don't think that's a bad thing to, like I said earlier, I think it, a little bit of discomfort, it, it's, that's learning, that's that's important. So my advice would be just have a go. Start with the subjects that your students are interested in. So I think, again, it's really important to find out what they are. Think about political and social issues that really grab their attention at the moment. There might be local social issues that are important to them that are particularly relevant to your learner's context or aren't covered in the course book because you're using a global course book. So start with those. And I think you will feel more confident as a teacher if you know that the topic is going to engage your learners. So, yeah. Maybe just one thing to add to that from my own experience is that beginner speakers are not beginner thinkers, you know, and they may mm. have those ideas there. It's how we as a teacher can bring those things out rather than just say, oh, they're only A1, A2 level or whatever it is. They're only seven years old. They have no ideas. No, it's it's finding out how to engage with them rather than just rejecting that idea. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And there's no reason why you can't have the conversation in the student's L1 first, especially if you as a teacher share it with them. Why not have it in L1 first and then help them to have it in English or a simplified version of the same conversation in English? Absolutely. Rose, thank you very much for your time today. Thank you very much, Rose. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I think this is such an important episode and it's a skill by self to be able to teach students how to talk about difficult issues in a polite manner. So I think our roles as educators is more of facilitating and that includes facilitating difficult uh, issues that are not often talked about in the English classroom. Absolutely. And I think one of the things we talked about in the interview was about social and political challenges, but there's also economic challenges and the reality of living in a new place and struggling to get by day to day. We're now going to listen to our field reports. And this is something I recorded with a group in Cardiff. So at uh, the Oasis Centre, 
And here we hear from a group of refugees and asylum seekers who are struggling to make ends meet and who are able to talk about that within the safe space of the classroom. Teaching English with the British Council. My name is Laura Phelps and I'm the head of ESOL at Oasis Cardiff. So Oasis Cardiff is a charity that's for refugees and asylum seekers. A lot of our clients come to us when they haven't been in the UK very long. And so some of them arrive with really a very low level of English and perhaps not not always very strong literacy skills in their first language, depending on, on their sort of educational experiences before. Obviously, a lot of them have come from quite traumatic circumstances. Sometimes the journeys that people have made to, to get here have been very difficult or people are sort of worried about what's happening to their family or their friends back home. So I think there's, they're sort of processing an awful lot of things that are happening to them, to them at the same time, then sort of finding the motivation to, to understand like a new culture and learn a new language. There's kind of there's a, lot, a lot going on there. Living fast, right? Rising living fast. Because food, the price of food prices, yeah. right? Higher food prices, right? Food, electricity, yeah, yeah. everything is higher, that's... right? So that's why it's more expensive. Okay, so I write rising living costs here. Okay? Living costs. The why, right? What problems? If it's expensive, what problems? Problem? Uh, problem because, uh, for example, there is money, there's a refugee asylum seeker coming, yeah. no working. Uh, problem the money, this is fancy. Yeah, so for refugees. Yeah. Refugees, they can't buy yeah. tickets, right? Yeah, ticket is expensive for refugee people yeah. because no working. Yeah. So that's a problem, okay? It's, problem. it's expensive, so they can't buy tickets. So I write it on the branch here, okay? And what would be the solution? Solution? Well, I think it's, you know, although obviously the, the main purpose of the ESOL classroom is to help people with language, like it is a lot more than that. And people do kind of anecdotally, they say that they're coming here partly for language and partly for friendship. There was a, a Ukrainian woman who said, said something really wonderful to me earlier this year about, oh, you know, without without this, uh, there would be a wall between me and this country. And it kind of, it's that, um, just a kind of an understanding, even having like a, a series of sort of, of teachers, volunteer teachers that you can just, you can just ask things to about, you know, sort of cultural questions. Why is this happening? And, and yeah, just sort of meeting people from all over. Obviously, that's kind of, you know, Cardiff is a multicultural city. That's what the wider world is like. So I think it's it's not only about language, but about the kind of the... Um, the, the broader social context of what, what an ESOL classroom is like. I don't see the sense in separating the ESOL classroom from the real world. Like the people that are coming here, they're, they're adults. Um, you know, obviously they are aware of what's happening in the world, very much aware of that. Um, I remember when I first started teaching, one of my managers said to me, you know, it's really important to remember that beginner learners are not beginner thinkers. And I found that's really something that stayed with me. And like, of course, it's... When, when you have these kind of issues that people do have things to say about, they are really relevant to, to their own lives. That's, it's a much better way of kind of teaching language. So the language kind of emerges much more naturally from the context that you're, you're describing. And then you can work with the language that, that comes up rather than you know, the teacher kind of deciding this, you know, today is present perfect day or today is this set of Lexus. It's kind of what do you want to say about these topics? Um, and then you can kind of support people in, in finding the language they need to do that. Is that it? 
So we say living cost is higher, yeah. food is expensive, petrol is expensive. Yeah. Uh, Anything uh, else? Electricity. Electricity. Electricity, yeah. yeah. Electricity. And uh, water. Water, yeah. And gas. Yeah. That's for Yeah, so you have to pay bills. Right. Everything is more expensive. So, I mean, the, the methodology that we, uh, I hesitate to say trained because it's not quite as formal as that, but that we kind of encourage people to use is participatory pedagogy. So, basically, um, the teacher is not deciding the format of the lesson, but they will bring something that acts as a prompt, for example, an image or a newspaper headline or, or something like this. Um, and then the students kind of, you know, they work, they work with that prompt. So... The teacher is not really directing it. The students are able to to meet you where they're ready to meet you, kind of like linguistically and in terms of you know their their feelings about particular things. So if there's a topic they don't want to talk about, there'll always be an option just not not to talk about that. And kind of you know, there'll be more than one option of things to discuss, so that no one ever feels sort of backed into a corner and uh, feels like they have to to talk about a particular thing. I think good teachers do this anyway, of just sort of being aware of what's happening in the classroom, how people are feeling. If someone, you know, who's normally a bit chatty has gone a bit quiet, or if no, you, you can kind of tell when there's sort of a change of mood, and then it's, you know, it's about sort of not pushing a particular agenda. So, you know, even if a teacher thinks, like, oh, it'd be interesting to talk about this, like, it's really not up to the teacher. It's up to the teacher to create a context in which a, a dialogue can happen if, if, the, if the learners are kind of happy to do that, and if not, then to, you know, to withdraw and, and just basically being sort of guided by the, the people that you find. In your, in your classroom. Not using public transport. Yeah, because for example, as people, asylum seekers, refugees, newcomers, they continue, no money, just for city, is going to near. For walking, for bike is better. For another city, the cheap one is bus. Bus is better. Um, but there was an issue with one of our other teachers who is qualified but not terribly experienced, and it was when. Um, after the Ukrainian conflict had quite recently broken out, and we had here uh, some Ukrainians and some Russians in the same uh, in the same class, and it had come up. Um, he certainly wasn't p- p- pushing to discuss that. He was doing a, a lesson about sleep, sleep pattern. You know, sleep patterns. Are you an early bird or a night owl? And somebody said, a Ukrainian learner had said, um, well, usually I sleep very well, but, you know, now I can't sleep at all because of these Russians, and, you know, sort of talking about, and, you know, this, the, this sort of Russian student, he went sort of terribly quiet, and, you know, the teacher was aware that that wasn't great. <laughs> and, yeah, he did kind of, he came afterwards and said, no, how, you know, how should I, how should I manage that? And, of course, I don't, I don't think there is a, a should. It's, again, just sort of being aware of and sort of neutralising that and, you know, being able to say that, that obviously, this situation now, it is, it is really difficult, and it can be quite upsetting um, and you know maybe let's we can have a chat about that at the end of the class maybe it's you know um, rather than letting that kind of escalate during during the lesson okay and solutions solutions solution solution i said to they give us permission to do work yeah so give permission for refugees to work you agree Work. Yeah, yeah. 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 Refugees should be able to work. 
I mean, I think if you're if you're considering sort of critical thinking as part of your essential curriculum, or sort of citizenship skills as as part of your part of your curriculum, I think like these kind of things emerge quite naturally. So it's certainly not about you know the teacher deciding that we're you know today we're going to talk about a difficult issue, but we are going to talk about maybe you know what it what it means to participate in society in a particular way, and um, and to encourage learners to kind of like to, to question things and to. I think, yes, creating a culture where people feel able to kind of to ask questions or to raise kind of more more difficult points, perhaps. I specifically uh, liked the part where Laura said that this is not only about teaching a language, but also about the humans involved. And I think as humans, we tend to want to express ourselves and our views. Maybe the environment is not always supportive of that, but our role as educators and as teachers is to empower students by giving them the atmosphere or the environment that is suitable for them to express their opinions. And that relates to what Rose mentioned, that she prefers not to call this taboo subjects, but rather difficult subjects. I also like that she's using participatory pedagogy, which is very empowering for uh, marginalized people, especially refugees. Once they're given agency and autonomy over their learning and over the topics they can discuss in the class, that is very engaging and also very good for them, for their mental health as uh, because of what they are experiencing in reality. Absolutely. And, and talking to some of the participants in the class afterwards they were saying you know there may be no other place that they have where they can talk about these issues this is the one place they can go they feel safe to talk about these issues and it was you know and they can also find solutions here as well because they can learn from each other they can talk about these challenges and through that through that participation as you're saying they're making a direct and explicit link between the acquisition of a language and their social and economic reality. Yeah, and there are some topics where you cannot imagine yourself talking about it in your native mother tongue language, but once you speak about it in other languages, it gives you kind of a motivation to explore it a bit more. As a second language learner, I, I found this to be very true. There are topics maybe that I am more... Or maybe I shy away from speaking about in my native tongue, but I'm more comfortable speaking about it in English because of the universal tone of English language. Mm. So, for example? I would say things like maybe LGBTQ rights. Yeah, I find the terms maybe are more... Yeah, there are more terms to talk about it in English than in other languages. I guess as well with something like LGBTQ rights and so on, I don't know, but in Arabic are the words translated from English into Arabic is the act of translating those words says something about the perception of those words as well. Yeah, because in Arabic we only have one word. So uh, while LGBTQ stands for different categories, so yeah, just seeing that, you know, exploring that aspect, the language and how can we analyze the language, culture, you know, that dynamic between language, culture and um, social norms and religious barriers, maybe. It is very transparent in language. And yeah. I think teachers can bring that out in classes as well. They shouldn't be afraid to go into things like linguistics rather than language, where actually saying, well, 
what are the words for these things that say are in Arabic and what are the words in English? And so there is a difference. Why is there a difference? What does that say? And that can actually lead to sort of lots of interesting learning points as well. Thank you for listening to episode three. Join us in our next episode where we will talk about the difference between academic and general English. See you next time. Teaching English with the British Council Series 2 is hosted by Wiam Hamdan and Chris Souten. The producer is Elizabeth Dyer. Executive producer, Chris Dyer. Salsan Abukara is the Arabic language consultant. You yeah, I'm coming into focus and out of focus, it's all right. That's just, that's just my face. It does that just naturally. Yeah. Teaching English with the British Council.